Um, as is our custom, we'll be pairing our reading this morning from the New Testament, Matthew 6, with a reading from the Old Testament. In this case, it's from Ezekiel 34. And I'm Jason Little will be reading that for us. So Jason, you can come on up. This reading does come from uh, the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34. Hear these words uh, and find hope in them and comfort. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, And I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Amen. And from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is verse 8. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing, Lord, that only you can do. And that is, by the power of your spirit, would you now come among us and shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, would you shine light in the places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown. Lord, would you use these words and the words that I prepared Lord, to give us such deep hope in our Lord Jesus this morning. That's our prayer, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So um, I read a book recently about the life of Londoners during the Blitz. Now, the Blitz was this 
bombing campaign that the Luftwaffe, which is the German word for, or the, the German name for the German Air Force. I spent a lot of time this week preparing to say Luftwaffe to you. I didn't quite get the reaction I was hoping for. But it's when the German Air Warplanes Air Force relentlessly pounded the British to break their will for a period of eight or nine months. And this book in particular was talking about the life of everyday Londoners during that battle. The way that they actually went about their business, the way that they drank tea, went to work, listened to radios in each other's houses, carried on like normal. There's a line in the book where a woman from that town mentioned, during that time, you know, we even forgot that there was a battle. Got so used to the constant bombing that we forgot we were even in the midst of attack. Of course, the book is telling this to talk about the resolve of the British people, the way they kept calm and they carried on, so to speak, which is fine so far as it goes. But that posture of forgetting we're in the battle, not realizing it, getting so used to the constant attack that we sort of forget it's happening, that is actually a posture that the New Testament strongly warns us against. See, the scriptures would teach us that we are in the midst of a constant battle. If you and I could see, even right now, probably in this room, the things that are unseen. If we could see in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, the things that are unseen. If we could see the things in our souls that are unseen, we would see that we are actually being relentlessly pounded and shelled all the time. Now, some of you are here this morning and your, your reaction to that is like, huh? I don't know. But I tell you, for most of us, we just feel that so deep in our bones, don't we? Like we know we know it. And the good news of the gospel that I am here to announce to you today is that Jesus Christ has acted decisively to give us victory in that exact battle. And it's the seventh petition of this Lord's Prayer where our Lord Jesus encourages us to pray from deliverance, or pray for deliverance in the midst of that battle. Of course, the good news is Jesus Christ himself offers just that. And I hope that's a theme that you've seen as we walked our way through this Lord's Prayer. That all the things we're praying and asking the Lord for in this prayer are things he himself actually provides for us. And that's again the case this morning. 
So here's how I want to do this with you in the moments we have together. Um, I wanna talk about evil. Our Lord Jesus asks us or tells us to pray that we will be delivered from evil. So I wanna talk to you about the way that the Christian tradition, the way the scriptures talk about evil. And with each part of the way that the scriptures talk about evil, there'll be three of them, I wanna talk to you about the way that Christ has, is, and will act to deliver. So we're gonna talk about one feature of evil and how Christ is at work. Another feature of evil and another feature of how Jesus is at work. Another feature of evil and another feature of how Jesus is at work. And, and the, the main thing I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I hope you hear. It's really simple that our Lord Jesus in time will deliver us fully and finally. And that full and final deliverance, the certainty of it has a way of giving us hope today. Our Lord Jesus will act fully and finally and that gives us hope for today. That's the main thing I hope you walk away with. So let's take a look together at Jesus' words here in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the scriptures, the Christian tradition would lead us to believe that evil has, you might call, three faces. The first one is what the scriptures would call the world. It's gonna be the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we'll start with the world. When the New Testament talks about the world, what it means that it's hard to explain, I'm gonna give you a couple of different ways to think of it. When the New Testament talks about the world, it's talking about the system, the way that things are, specifically the fact that the way that things are is opposed to God's rule and God's ways. The things that our world prizes, the things that our world values are actually opposite of the things that our Lord prizes and our Lord values. That's, that's one way that the New Testament will describe the world. Another way the New Testament will describe the world is just the sort of empty, feudal, fading value system that, again, is opposed to God's values. Here's maybe a more just direct to your heart and soul way of defining the world. It's just the feeling that you have deep in your bones, and it's not just a feeling because you observe it and you see it and you feel it, you experience it literally every day. But it's, it's just the sense that you have that everything, from the most simple light thing to the heaviest, but it's the sense you have that everything is exactly, precisely, not the way that it's supposed to be. I think this, this face of evil that the New Testament calls the world, I think that at least a primary way we experience it is just the weight of it. What I'm describing here is a thing that you experience as something that is just weighing you down. 
that crushing feeling you feel sometimes in your bones, that something's sitting on top of you. Now, now, you can't escape it, by the way. And, and, and we as Christians shouldn't abandon, abandon the world. It's our Father's world we just sunk. And, and the temptation in the face of what the New Testament calls the world, this component of evil, would be to assimilate to it. Just go along with the world and its patterns. What Paul in the book of Romans says, to allow ourselves to be pressed into its mold or allow our lives to be conformed to its pattern. We, that's an option. Or, as our Savior has taught us, we can pray that our Lord Jesus might deliver us from it. So, so right now, right now, I want you to think right now of that thing, that circumstance that is weighing you down. Think of that exact thing. And now I want to tell you how Jesus offers deliverance. There's a conversation where Jesus is talking with his disciples in the upper room in John chapter 16. And he says to his disciples that in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to have things that press and weigh you down. But then he says something interesting. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In 1 John, the apostle John says that this world is, is passing away. So how has Jesus overcome this world to such a degree that it will pass away? Well, the scriptures teach us that in Jesus' life, in his death, and in his resurrection, he has overcome the world. And he's overcome the world specifically by bringing his rule, his reign, his kingdom to break in the midst of this broken world. And to an increasing degree, Jesus Christ is at this very moment, you might say, reasserting his rule, in his reign, in his world. He's already doing it. And, and, and so much so that we're told that one day this world and its pressures will one day give way to a new heavens and a new earth. And we're told that those things that weigh you down, those things that burden you, that feeling you have in your gut that everything's precisely not the way it's supposed to be. See, the, our Lord Jesus, by the time he's done with his work, will have all of those things in a category, in a bucket that is called former things. Because the former things, we're told in Revelation, will have passed away when this new heavens and this new earth 
arrives. See, our Lord Jesus, in the midst of this face of evil, the world that presses us down, is actively at this very moment and will one day do it fully and finally, making all things new. Take heart. It's the world. Now, in the scriptures and in the Christian tradition, not only are we attacked by the world, but we're also assaulted from the inside out in this category that the scriptures calls the flesh. And when the New Testament talks about the flesh, it, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with our physical bodies. I mean, I mean they're, they're broken and they're, they're fading away, they're decayed. The scriptures do not dishonor the physical body. But rather, when the New Testament talks about the world, it talks about the way in which inside of our bodies are these, these attitudes. I'm just gonna name you some words. Attitudes, impulses, inclinations, sinful desires, disordered affections that are bubbling and, and brewing inside of us all the time that, of course, play their way out into our physical body with acts of sin. That's what the New Testament means when it talks about the flesh. And, and I do think it's interesting the way that the world and the flesh work in concert with one another. So I'm just gonna give you like a, like a hypothetical example, okay? Hypothetical. It's like very hypothetical. But let's say, for example, there's a man who um, is walking around in a broken world. Let's say he's 41. Let's say he talks with his hands. And... Um, <laughs> And is weighed down. He's just weighed down by the way that things are. And, and, and comes home at the end of the day empty from the way that he has been weighed down. And, and when this person walks into the house, this hypothetical person perhaps, just something happens or something is bothersome. And it's like after having been weighed down, the pressure of the fleshly things on the inside are just bubbling over to the point where just unkind words are just a quick thing out of his mouth. Or short temper or if there's enough self-control not to say it but to think it. In other words, I think sometimes this flesh thing, I think we experience it's just it's kind of constant poking and prodding. And sin just bubbles up. I know you know exactly what I mean, but it's helpful to put language to it. In Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul says, you know the deeds of the flesh. And he lists off a long list. And then at the end of his list, he says, and other things like these. So in other words, it's a long list. But he says sensuality, impurity, strife, fits of anger, envy, rivalry, drunkenness, and other things like that. The Apostle Paul in Galatians then says that when we are people who practice these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is some of the strongest language the Bible has anywhere. Do you feel that? 
Do you feel those sinful inclinations and attitudes just bubbling inside of you? Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? We start to realize that you don't really need a plan or a strategy as much as you need deliverance. And that's what our Lord Jesus encourages us to pray, that he would deliver us. And here is how he has acted to deliver us from our flesh. I'm gonna name just a few things. There's, there's so many more. But on Jesus' cross, he purchases forgiveness for sin and he removes sin as far as the east is from the west. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He purchases forgiveness as if that were not enough, in his death and in his resurrection, we're united to Jesus and we're united in his death and we're united in his resurrection. In other words, the scriptures teach us that our Lord Jesus is putting to death in us. He's crucifying in us these selfish and sinful fleshly desires. In other words, the cross is not just something that Jesus did for us, though it's that. It's also something that we are constantly Living as our deeds of the flesh are being put to death. And in Jesus' resurrection, we're united to his life and we're being raised to life again in him freshly all the time. And as if that were not enough, he has poured out his spirit on you and me. Where we're being renewed, we're being converted, the scriptures would teach us, from one degree of glory to another ever so steadily we're being changed and renewed. These deeds of the flesh that I rattled off for you, the very next verse says, you know what the deeds of the flesh are, da 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 and other things like these, but then it goes on to say, but in the spirit, these things are being replaced by fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're a Christian, that is what is happening to you right now. You're being made more and more alive all the time. You might not even realize it's happening to you. But if I can just make a pastoral comment for a second. I've had the privilege of being the pastor of this church for almost seven years. And because we're around this size, I haven't precious opportunity to have access and to see things in people's lives. And I don't know any other way to say this to you other than I see the Lord changing you. I see the Lord changing me. Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians rattles off these sort of things that we once were. And he says, and some, such were some of you, but you've been washed. There, there are people in this room, and I put myself in this number, that would have reacted a different way three years ago than they do today. I see people becoming more free. If we experience this flesh as a poking and prodding, or another way to think of it is like walking through a spider web that we feel tangled in, we're being untangled. And our Lord Jesus, by the power of his spirit, will not stop the process. He will finish the work that he started in us, even to the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he will not stop until he returns. When you, with a resurrected body, 
in the new heavens and new earth. We'll see his face. See, that future thing has a chance to give you great hope this morning, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? So that's the world, and that's the flesh. And then this third face of evil would be the devil. In the language of the Old Testament, the Satan, the accuser. In the words of the New Testament, a real live person, a father of lies, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who to destroy and devour. In the words of the New Testament, a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't know if you've ever just walked around in your weeks and had the conscious thought. I feel like someone is hunting me, seeking to steal, kill, destroy, distract, tempt, lie, accuse. Have you ever had that sense? Because if you have, you're not crazy, you're correct. It's happening. And if we experience the world like a weight that weighs us down and the flesh like a poking or prodding or a thing we can't get untangled from, I think we experience the work of the devil in the terms I've just explained to you, the lying and the accusing. In other words, I think we mostly experience it like a sort of under the surface whisper of lies and of accusation. I mean, think of the kind of pa- the paradigmatic or pattern story in Genesis 3. It's the whispering of the serpent to the man and the woman. Well, if, if we eat from the tree that's of that garden, we'll die. Are you here this morning and are you hearing the voices? And normally again, it will be lie, which leads to sin, which will then get punched with accusation, which will leave you wanting to hide, which will be another kind of lie, which will lead to other kinds of sin, which will lead to more accusation that will make you because you feel ashamed and alone, you wanna hide, which will be another lie that will lead to more accusation. It's the lie and the accusation in cycle. And we we can pretend that this isn't a reality in our life or we can pray that our Lord Jesus would deliver us. And let me tell you how he has. One of the more explosive things that the Bible tells us anywhere is in 1 John where it says that our Lord Jesus, ready, destroyed the works of the devil. The powers of darkness, the 
demonic forces of this world in Jesus' cross. This is Paul in Colossians. He triumphed over them and even put them to open shame. In the book of Revelation, we're given this picture of the saints who are encamped. And the devil and all his armies are surrounding them. Which I actually think, among other things, is a picture of the way life is as God's people. We are the saints and we are encamped. And we are surrounded by the devil and his army. We learn that our Lord Jesus, of course, throws Satan down. And in an act of his justice, casts him in a lake of fire. Making you and I forever safe of his accusations. When you hear the whispers of the devil, the right response, of course, is to say, yeah, but Christ. Martin Luther would feel the intense assault of the devil in his thoughts and in his life. In fact, he said that sometimes the devil himself would appear to him in dreams. But they weren't dreams. The devil would come into his bedchamber. And Luther wrote about how he learned to light a candle to look the devil in the face and say, be gone, Satan, I am baptized. Now, as our Lord Jesus has thrown down Satan. We're told that death, which is Satan's best tool, is swallowed up forever. So while the Lord Jesus is swallowing up death forever, you and I are feasting in celebration of all that our God has done. See, this prayer, when we pray it, delivers from evil, sounds something like this. Lord, I know you see me. You see the things that weigh me down. You see the things that are bubbling inside my heart and soul. I'm asking that you would help me, that you would strengthen me, that you would be changing me, that you would be protecting me, so much so that you will bring me through many dangers toils and snares safely home. Where my head is hung low, would you be the lifter of it? Where my knees are feeble and weak, would you strengthen me? That's what we're praying when we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. And our Lord's answer to that prayer, as it has been in all these other petitions, is, of course... I am, I have, I am, and I will fully and finally one day. But for me to tell you that last part, I will one day fully and finally implies something. It implies something we've talked about so many times in this room. We've talked about so many times outside, now that I think about it. It implies that the Christian life will be a waiting life. Well, we will learn to wait. We'll have to wait 
We'll have to wait as we wait on his full and final deliverance. The Christian life is a waiting life. And this is probably as good a time as any to tell you that waiting is very hard. It's very hard. When my daughter Millie was four years old, six now, we were in her room at bedtime, and I know I've told you this story before. We were in a room at bedtime, we were talking about things. We sort of start talking about Jesus, I think. <laughs> um, we talked about how Jesus will one day return to make all things new and right. That he will bring deliverance one day, fully and finally. And, and Millie, my four-year-old daughter, just looks up at me just with a little smile on her face and just says, Daddy, he's waiting a long time. <laughs> And of course, the biblical and theological response to that is, baby, I know. I think you know what she means, don't you? Here's what the scriptures teach. If you have that longing deep in your heart and your soul, that you'd experience deliverance from the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you long for what the writer of the book of Hebrews calls a better country, a better city whose architect and builder is God, that if you long for that, that country, that place, says that even having that longing in your heart and your soul it is one of the most precious things that the scriptures teach us. It's because we have that longing in our heart and soul that he is not ashamed to be called our God, which is an amazing compliment. The scriptures teach that if you have that longing in your heart and your soul for deliverance, If you find your place, yourself in a place where you're waiting on the Lord, Scripture teaches that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame, meaning they'll never be embarrassed that they waited on him. And that those who hope in that Lord, the one who's delivered us, that you won't be disappointed. And that has a way of working its way backward to give you great hope this morning, I promise. Deliver us from evil, Lord. I have. I am. 